Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that always bounces back. I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. And I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. Together we are working our way through the good, the bad, and the lemon bumping of the MCU. So listen up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 7. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to bid a mostly fond farewell to Marvel's long-running spy-fi engine that could, even if sometimes it shouldn't have. <laughs> so since we won't have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to kick ah. around anymore, I, th- I thought I'd do a little retrospective on spy-fi through the ages, you know, kind of like season seven did. I love it. I love it so much. All right, good. Yeah. It's good. So we start, much like the show did, in the mm-hmm. 1930s. Now, while spy-fi didn't technically exist as a subgenre unto itself until the 1960s, which, by the way, is one of the reasons it trades so heavily in Cold War and Golden Age of Espionage tropes, Mm -hmm. there were some proto-spy-fi heroes and stories even as far back as the 1930s. And considering what I've had to say on this very podcast about pulp magazines, you won't be surprised to find out that that's where the magic happened, baby. (laughs) My favorite example of this is probably operator number five, rogue secret service agent Jimmy Christopher, who is codenamed operator number five. He's an operative for a shadowy government agency who battles America's enemies who have sworn death and destruction on the nation. Mm -hmm. That doesn't sound that exciting or interesting. Wait till I get to the rub. Okay. Okay. Now, one of the things that really typifies spy-fi is that kind of over-the-top technology, or at least over-the-top technology for the time, right? Mm -hmm, We see that mm -hmm. in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. James Bond's got his laser watch. In Like Flint has literally everything, including (laughs) his magnetic charisma. God damn. Mm-hmm. those movies. But you don't really have that so much in Operator Number 5, except for two little tidbits. Mm-hmm. One, a skull ring that he wore with a capsule of poison gas in it that was potent enough to kill an entire auditorium full of people. Wow. And a rapier sword that he could coil into his belt. So it was wow. like hidden and then whip it free and he's gone offensing. I don't know... <laughs> Honestly, I don't entirely understand. Like, I get sword canes and stuff. I do. But, like, one of Doc Savage's chief lieutenants carried a sword cane so he could... Use it in a fight, and I'm just like. But I mean, like, but the fencing, fencing, yeah, like the fencing thing requires that first of all that everybody uh, like obey the rules of fencing, and that somebody else also have a fencing sword. Fair. I shouldn't call it fencing. You're right. I mean, like actual sword fighting. But it's a you know with with a rapier. Yeah, but those are very. Listen, I'm not doing a Renaissance sharp, history lesson. Like... They're very dangerous. <laughs> and this they one could feel roll up in his not belt. Not terribly dangerous to me. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, fine. not compared to a Tommy gun. Well, yeah. But I mean, you you're know, talking about technology. He's fencing with a rapier. I mean, really. You only got to dodge that guy with the Saturday Night Special six <laughs> times, and then you can go over and stab him repeatedly. Fair enough. However, technology aside, the yes, other yes, thing yes. that mm-hmm. often typifies spy-fi is kind of an epic scope. 
right? Mm -hmm. Most later spy-fi would reach that through, you know, nuclear weapons and holding the world hostage. Mm -hmm. But here in Operator Number 5, they achieve that epic scope by tapping into a wildly irrational fear that still plagues the USA to this day. Wow. Invasion. Yeah. Oh, we're friggin' terrified of it considering that it's basically never happened. It's wild. Mm-hmm. Now, many of Operator Number 5's battles were either to stop, hinder, or in some rare cases turn back an already successful invasion of American soil. Mm-hmm. His most famous 13-part story called The Purple Invasion actually starts 20 days into a successful invasion and conquering of the U.S. with Jimmy, his allies, and even the president fighting a guerrilla war to retake the nation. Okay. Seems a little on the nose considering the agents here are battling an invasion of the entire planet and fighting a guerrilla war across time. But you Mm -hmm. see, synergy, baby. (laughs) Synergy. Yeah. We segue into the 1950s. Mm-hmm. But Joshua, you're saying, what about the 1940s? Well, the show skipped it, and so am I. <laughs> and I'm also not going to recommend anything that turns Hitler and Nazis into cartoonish villains, because while I don't begrudge guys like Jack Kirby for doing it, mm-hmm. I don't think it's been culturally healthy for us in the long run. <laughs> sure. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to ignore the 40s. Back to the 50s. Okay. Aliens, Area uh-huh. 51, Men in Black. Mm-hmm. So again, spy-fi doesn't technically exist yet in the 50s, but a lot of the real-world conspiracy theories of that era are going to sow seeds for it by Mm -hmm. introducing shadowy agents with advanced technology and apparently globe-spanning operations that are trying to keep a lid on something uber-secret, in this case, an alien menace. Uh Uh-huh. Now, it probably goes without saying that the USA was pretty worried about outside influences ruining us from the inside. So, you got a lot of body snatchers and similar standing Mm -hmm. in for the insidious threat of communism, which again, as a card-carrying socialist, cracks my shit up. (laughs) I love the idea of me being terrifying to the average 1950s suburbanite. (laughs) But you look like us. That's right, but I want to tear your system down brick by brick. How do you like me now? I am the body snatcher. That's what I'm trying to get at. And through all of that, you'd think that there would be a ton of Mm spy-fi from this era, or at least some Mm proto-spy-fi, but there just isn't. (laughs) I consulted an expert. There isn't. Wow. So start taking bets now on how long before I write something set in the 50s that's a (laughs) spy-fi, because it should exist. It should. This is when we Americans first started getting incredibly fascinated with espionage and with gadgets and tech. And it's mind-boggling to me that it took until the 60s, which the agents also skip, to get to true Mm spy-fi. So as I mentioned, we're skipping the 60s, which is actually good news for me because that's the golden age of spy-fi. And I would have had one hell of a time narrowing this down to something that's Mm -hmm. only the front end of a podcast. So good news, we're skipping the 60s and we're talking Uh about the 70s. Now, the 70s are not generally a time when people wanted to fuck with spies who were enjoying themselves too much, all right? (laughs) Right. We had Watergate, we had Vietnam, we had an energy crisis. It was all too goddamn much. So for this one, I'm actually going to jump ahead to 2013 to -hmm. recommend a comic book set in the world of vaguely spy-fi espionage, circa 1973. Velvet is written by Ed Brubaker and drawn by Steve Epting, and it asks the question, what if Moneypenny were actually the most dangerous woman in the world, and she didn't care for it very much after James Bond got murdered? Mm -hmm. Oh, also, she has some extremely dark secrets, and she 
she's prepared to kill to protect them. Now, Brubaker and Epting are responsible for the stories that would be adapted into Captain America, The Winter Soldier, which is the MCU's barely arguable best movie thus far. (laughs) So if that fact that those are the creators and the high concept don't make you want to read Velvet, I might not want to know you. Right. (laughs) Come on. Segwaying smoothly into the 1980s. Segwaying much smoothly into the 1980s than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did, I might add. (laughs) We neared the end of the Cold War. And even James Bond wound up fighting his own agency and drug dealers instead of flying space shuttles and shooting watch lasers. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that science fiction style tech wasn't falling out of and into the hands of spies and more often normal people who have to deal with the fact that they're now pursued by spies. Mm So before I get to a really good example of this, I'd probably be remiss if I didn't at least mention the existence of Short Circuit, a film Mm -hmm. from 1986 that is about a prototype military robot that is struck by lightning and gains sentience. I actually remember that movie. Of course you do. Of course you do. (laughs) Because we are of a certain age and it was in the HBO Mm -hmm. rotation. Mm -hmm. Sure Yeah, I know what's up. Mm -hmm. So this robot first named itself Number 5 and later Johnny 5, and it has a massive laser on its shoulder, but its Mm -hmm. chief abilities appear to be entirely upstaging Steve Gutenberg and Ali Sheedy. Oh my God, Ali Sheedy. Remember Ali Sheedy? I do. Um, I also vaguely remember Steve Gutenberg because the Police Academy movies were also in the HBO rotation. But the good news is all of this robot shenanigans distracts us from the fact that Fisher Stevens is pretending to be an Indian stereotype. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Anyway, the reason I bring it up is that the robots that attack the lighthouse are definitely meant to be similar, but legally distinct from Johnny Five. Mm -hmm. I I suspect you grokked that immediately because they're like... Two thirds, Johnny. Five. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to throw one more 80 spy fi suggestion on the pile, and it's yet another completely normal person who accidentally gets wrapped up in some weird espionage stuff. Shockingly, the more I thought about this, that's a big theme in the 80s. Mm-hmm. War games, Condor Man, Cloak and Dagger, even on TV yeah. with stuff like Scarecrow and Mrs. Yep. King. Mm-hmm. But the one I want to zero in on is Inner Space. <gasps> oh my God! I forgot about that movie. I did not mean to turn this into old home week for me. Meg for you, Ryan, but here we Dennis are. Quaid, Martin Short. Yes, I remember the, exactly that. Exactly right. Yeah. So Dennis mm-hmm. Quaid, yeah. who might be a right wing shitheel right now. I don't really know and I don't yeah. want to deal with it. So just everybody, yeah. let's talk about inner space. He plays a <laughs> test pilot uh-huh. who is shrunk down inside a submersible pod with experimental technology. He's supposed to be injected into a rabbit, but the lab is attacked. Someone escapes with the syringe that he's in and trying to hide him from the bad guys, injects him into Martin Short, who then has to team up with the little man inside him, not a euphemism, (laughs) to save his life and return the technology to the proper authorities. I don't know what, but I think it must mean something that depending on who you asked, our biggest fear or fantasy in the 80s was that we'd accidentally come across some mind-blowingly dangerous technology and suddenly the KGB (laughs) would be after us. We've moved from the paranoia at being infiltrated in the 50s to the 80s where our paranoia is that the government can't be trusted and we're being infiltrated. (laughs) As for myself, I find it incredibly quaint that there was a time when we weren't 100% sure that our government was against us. <laughs> yeah, kind of, you look back and it's kind of sweet that there was that little bit of faith. 
Yeah, yeah we weren't sure. We yeah. weren't sure. But now well, we, we know. we thought it was bad apples. Right. No, huh? Rotten yeah. from the core. All right. Rotten from the core, yes. Also, a shameless plug, but uh-huh. I've mentioned this before. I have written a spy-fi <laughs> novel. Uh, it is aimed more at a tween or young mm-hmm. adult audience, but nevertheless, I love this stuff. You've heard me talk about yeah. spy-fi more mm-hmm. than once. Mm-hmm. This one gave me an opportunity for the retrospective. Obviously, I'll tell you, speaking for myself, I was very disappointed that agents didn't have to time travel to the 90s. And mm-hmm. just kind of like deal with my own nostalgia. <laughs> but neither did they go to the, you know, early 2000s, which is when I wrote this novel. So That's if you guys true. like mm-hmm. the sound of this, you know, three teenage girls who have to team up to save their dads from a 10 year old supervillain with a bunch of robots. <laughs> you should look for my novel, Teen Agents, The Plundered Parent Protocol. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Link is in the show notes, right? Link is in the show notes. You will put the links in the show notes now that I... I will absolutely do that. (laughs) And we can stop with shameless plug time and move on into talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 7. To talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 7. All right. So here's the thing, right? From the beginning... I have loved Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I have appreciated all the things about it that are good. I have gleefully ignored all the things about it that are bad. I acknowledge it. I acknowledge when it's bad, but I still enjoy it. I still like it. Um, And, you know, we had a little bit of a rough run. The back half of season five, a little rough. Season six, a little rough. Then I came into season seven, a little rough. Then I came into season seven and my expectations were that it would do what every other television series has ever done, which is once it starts going bad, it continues to be bad until finally it dies an ignominious death and everybody walks away and just moves on to something else, right? Um, So when I went into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season seven, my expectations were super, super low. And every single episode, I was shocked at how much I freaking loved it. I Loved it. I loved every minute. I don't know why. Because when you think about it, season seven is all over the place, like tonally and aesthetically. Um, there's no cohesion. It doesn't make a lot of sense, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, and there, of course, is the kind of, you know, the, the the stuff at the end, which is kind of bullshit with, with Fitz and Gemma and what are we fighting for? And like all of that, like whatever. <laughs> um, but aside from all of that, like it's... It's really, I had so much fun. And I think it's because we just kept connected with the characters and I really enjoyed that. I loved bringing Daniel Sousa back in. I loved Sousa. It was so much fun when he became a part of everything. Um, I loved the aesthetic things that we were doing. We did film noir and we did this like 80s buddy cop show and um, everything had like the aesthetic in the beginning, you know, that matched mm-hmm. whatever the yeah. aesthetic was of the time as far as the opening credits went. Um, and I have to say, I fell for it. Hook, line and sinker. I loved all of it. Even the stuff that was objectively bad. I loved it. It was so <laughs> much fun. And so now I'm so curious, although I kind of know because, of course, you were texting me as you were watching it. But, like, you know, I'm, I'm curious to know, Joshua, what did you think of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season seven? Man, one hell of a dead cat bounce. (laughs) That's not me being cruel, by the way. That's an idiom for those of you at home who may not be aware of it. 
It's the idea that if something falls hard and fast enough, mm-hmm. it will bounce a little. <laughs> and I don't know who decided it was a dead cat uh-huh. bounce, but I didn't make that up, so don't hold oh it against God. me. I just yeah. collect old slang. So it's, man, one hell of a dead What's cat bounce. Good? I really enjoyed almost all of this. Okay, good. I'm so glad because I loved it. And I mean, I've always enjoyed Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, a bit more than you. Like, I think we can safely say that. Um, But I. Oh, yes, we can. What are you doing? Queen of understatement tonight? Like, I love it, but so keep it going. But yeah, yeah, I think we can safely say you liked it a little better than me. No, I loved this season. I thought it was so much fun. I loved all the time travel. I loved them, you know, going back in time to all these different eras, you know, uh, doing everything that they're doing, following along with the Chromicons. Uh, The only thing I really didn't care for is the fact that Fitz is just mysteriously missing until the end, at which point we finally get an answer for why he's been gone the whole time, why Gemma doesn't remember anything. Yeah, I mean, I thought that worked well enough in the fiction, Mm -hmm. but because I am a meta kind of guy, it does make me wonder what he was doing not on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, that has to be because he had another job, right? guess i don't know i mean but actually like it it fit in to the story because the big mystery was that he was missing so i mean they definitely did make it work it's just that he's kind of my favorite so (laughs) missing him during the season and we had deke kind of filling that role deke was the guy who provided the technology all right now you've got your you've got this look He's he's yeah, he's lowering his head and shaking his head because you had to bring <laughs> in up such disappointment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think right. that's the right word to use. I'm right. disappointed that Deke still exists. Let's let's go ahead and start here. Then let's go ahead and start in that space. I still okay. I like Deke. I know I'm in the minority. I understand why I'm in the minority. But for those of you who hate Deke, I mean, he was better this season, right, than the other seasons? I mean... No, I'll I'll buy that. I mean, he's also part of the dead cat bounce. (laughs) He's better. Again, the bar is subterranean but, but even, i mean you no, know okay but even on a low bar even on a dead cat bounce season seven is just so much fun they go back yes. in time they've got yeah. the chronicoms as this you know we open up with the chronicoms stealing the faces off of these cops in the 1930s and this idea that they're gonna kill um malik freddie malik so that uh so that he doesn't become evil the head of hydra and and so wouldn't need the, you know, opposite number in S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. That feels like, I mean, if you, and this is the problem. The problem with this season is don't think about it too much. Because the oh, Chronicoms no, that's when who you are, can still think about it. That part makes total sense. It doesn't. Why go back to the 30s to prevent S.H.I.E.L.D. from rising? I mean, and, and kill Wilfred Malik as the source of like it's it feels random and and there are so many elements that you can't control for and yes granted they had you know somebody who was looking at future outcomes and you know and i think that that actually does a lot to put some spackle on this cracked drywall you know that they had somebody who was looking at the future outcomes and that this was the point you know the the pivot point where you could actually do something to prevent shield from happening but 
It's no. Uh, are you kidding? It's That's flimsy. Beautiful. It's flimsy. Yeah. I, I don't uh, yeah I agree to disagree I think it makes no, total that's sense fine. If, I'm glad if I'm glad you like it rises in response to Hydra then just don't make Hydra and that's actually two birds with one stone in a way because it's if they got rid of shield then yeah. Hydra would just be like in fucking charge and then chronochromes in the present would have to be fighting Hydra you think that's <laughs> going to be easier no so this way Boom. There you Both go. of them off the board. Both of them. Love there it. You go. But you're not wrong that literally every time Sybil appears or speaks, it's basically the bewitched nose twitch to fix whatever's not going right. Exactly. You're not wrong. Exactly. But this plan is a good plan. But you know in what? As I don't much care. as it's happening in a comic I book superhero don't universe. I care because it's so much fucking fun that yeah. it, I don't care. Like, And it's funny because they have uh, the kid, Freddie Malik, um, was played by uh, the kid who was on. Um, Never have I ever the the uh, teen drama on um, on Netflix, which was really really fun. So I had just recently seen that, and when I saw this kid, I was like, Oh my god, I know him! You know, so so it Does was fun to see Does he have the same kind of bad '30s Brooklyn oh, accent? No, this is the same. The actor is one guy. Like that's wow. you know, I think I think he pl- yeah, he played up he played up that '30s <laughs> you know thing, but it was not yeah. Um, <laughs> So anyway, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, I love having everybody going back through time, bouncing through time. We have no idea what's going on. I, I even like kind of loved the mechanic of Gemma doesn't remember anything that's yeah. going on, that yeah. she doesn't know what's happening here. Um, and I, I, I wish that in the end we had a better payoff for the motivation for that, where she would put a thing in her brain and prevent well. herself from remembering things. I think the kid is a pretty good motivator. Well, okay. But the Chronicoms, the fact that the Chronicoms, if they know where Fitz is, that that's going to put them in danger and her not remembering Fitz, I think is part of it. The not remembering the kid. I think it's under the umbrella is what I'm getting at. Like if they find Fitz, she's in a lot of danger too because they literally left them 20 feet away from each other. <laughs> Which I'm not I'm not saying that was a bad choice. They're in the jungle building a bunch of shit, you know. And for Fitz, this whole thing is a 30 second, he's there with his kid, for 30 seconds he's gone, then he comes back, the kid is there, the kid has taken a nap and knows, like, there's no change in time for the kid at all. Listen, um, yeah. I love that. That's part, like... That's part of the time travel stories when they really mm-hmm. work, like when they yeah. hold together well enough, is when you get to think about different people's the like, reaction to this, it. their different yeah. perspective, where yeah. uh, Fitz stood there for about 30 seconds and then got sucked into the microverse, you know? <laughs> and, and got he was sucked like, through I, the quantum realm. I they're talking about the, you know. They're talking about the, the same stuff that we had Ant-Man in during this whole process. Um, one of oh, the things, yeah, can I just say? Yes. Agents mm-hmm. of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 7 absolutely supports my theory of Endgame that they weren't time traveling at all, or at uh-huh. least not solely. I just want right. to throw that out there. Well, okay, also, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., there's no snap. There's no five years of everybody dead. There's no, there's none of that experience. Um. Okay, so there's actually been a little chat about this in the Discord since that should have come up yeah. more during the Sarge business. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And mm-hmm. I mean, we know the real reason is that Marvel movie does not talk to Marvel TV. Like, they just don't. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can you can fudge that pretty easily and just yeah. assume that it, uh, that everything from season six and seven happens after in a post everybody's back after everybody's back. But that's five yeah. years unaccounted for. Yeah, yeah. Well, then they were snapped. Just they let them be snapped. All of them snapped. Sure. Why the hell not? And then they all just came back, and Money. nobody talked about it. I'm not saying that that's good. Well, actually, that would make sense for them because they were like not here and back, and then they're like, "Shit, we've got a job to do." Goddamn robots trying to take over the world. No, I'm not saying that's good. <laughs> I'm just saying it's entirely workable, and we can all I move on without in. worrying about the canon. I think that as we have these different universes that we've seen here, right, these different dimensions, you know, that something, the the universe that we followed with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. post, you know, Avengers or whatever, pre-Infinity War, that something they did sent them off into a different timeline. And it's just a completely different timeline in which the Avengers actually stopped Thanos at the beginning before he snapped. (laughs) I... Okay. And it never happened for them. Whatever headcanon you need, mm. that's fine. But what I'm entertained by, what I'm entertained by is yes. that you think that's simpler than just <laughs> they were all snapped and then they all came back and yes, got to work. Yes, it is simpler because if okay. they were all snapped, because in that moment when uh, who's it's uh, Spider-Man was snapped, he was like, I don't want to go. He knew what was happening to him. There's no way you get snapped and then come back five years later and it doesn't matter. It, it I mean, matters. I kind of feel like it years would. have gone by in the world without you. That is worth a footnote. Oh, sure. But it's boring. So we don't want to talk about it. We're not it's talking not, about it, though. They're in a multi-dimension, no. whatever. Anyway, long I just story want to point short. Out also, what I and the MCU have done to you, because an entirely separate universe yeah. is a simpler explanation for you than they were just gone. Yeah. I blame myself, honestly. What? I okay. did this, this to you. This is 70 episodes. <laughs> Seven zero. This is episode 70 of Listen Up A-Holes. And I have heard you talk about ridiculous I know. shit from That's what I'm saying. Every, like so many different worlds, jungle yes. worlds, and, you know, Modoc and just crazy <laughs> shit all over the place. Right? Like, I know. After a while, I'm, I'm just going with it. I'm just, I know. you know, I'm That's adapting what I'm I love, to my I love surroundings. That you're just like, just wash over me, zaniness. I don't even care. Just yeah, let it go. It. Yeah. I'm just glad that we've go. gotten you to this space. I hope that <laughs> actually the timing is really good because I feel like uh, you're going to need to be in that space for WandaVision. But we'll get there when we get there. We will get um, there when we get there. All right. So here we have all of these episodes, right, that are going through all of these stages in history. But also, like, on top of that, on top of being, you know, at a possible assassination attempt on FDR and getting to see FDR and then Coulson getting it. to see FCR, except it's not Coulson. It's a LMD of Coulson. And that's a whole other, we'll get to that in just a minute. But <laughs> so we have all of these experiences through history, you know, um, and from the beginning, from the first episode where, you know, we've got FDR, we've got Freddie, you know, we've got all of this. We've got Patton Oswalt coming back, you know, all of this Enoch being left. I mean, 
It's just, oh, it's crazy. We need to put a pin in the Enoch conversation too, Enoch. because I remain salty about the treatment of Enoch by this <gasps> yes. bunch of assholes. Yes. It kind of yeah. sucks. It kind of we'll does. We'll get to it. But, but you yes, know, I, we're... We're in the 30s. We do this whole FDR thing. We save the life. And I, I and I love this. It's easier, you know, to let a bad man live than to let a good man die, which we reach in the 50s when we're talking about Daniel Sousa versus, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Wilfred Malik. Um, it's so interesting and fun and crunchy. And I love seeing them go through all of these you know, ages that they're just like blending into whatever it is. They're trying to find a way, you know, Um, and and it was really fun just that they're traveling through history. But then we get to out of the past, which is the Sam Spade film noir (laughs) perspective of Coulson, whose, uh, you know, technology has suddenly gone wonky. So he sees everything in black and white and he has this. So we actually have like an in-universe week but fine explanation for why we're seeing everything in black and white, why we're hearing this voiceover, you know, this aesthetic of, of the film noir from the 50s. Um, it was really, really fun when they did that. You know, I was having fun up until then. I was having a great time where you were playing around with all this stuff. Then we get to this and I was like, oh, man, this is a good time. I really love that. These various pastiches were mm-hmm super fun that's Mm -hmm. true i I mean we just go back and just do whatever we want with the 1930s here's a little history lesson yeah you know uh and and the the area 51 i loved the all the areas are shield bases (laughs) (laughs) all right seems right you know of course they are yeah no i especially loved the the daniel sousa when he um when he thought that uh that Gemma's british accent was terrible Right. Well, well, anyway, no. She's actually um, British. It's a fine accent. It's okay. It's fine. I'm not entirely, yeah. I've never entirely bought it. That's not true. I'm just causing trouble. Um, but no, that's a good gag. Yeah, uh-huh. because yeah. of course she's going to pretend to be Peggy. And of course the worst possible oh, person wonderful. to be around exactly. for that would be around I for that. I know. And I love it. But we promise we're the good guys. <laughs> they lock them up. It's so cute. <laughs> and I'm a big fan. I loved all of that. You know, I love that. Which is such a yeah. bizarre... The, 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 the salesmanship, the acting that went into the reactions... Two yeah. things like we're such a big fan. Like what the f- just close the door. <laughs> I mean, because clearly Sousa has been through some weird nonsense, right. so he's not mm-hmm. going to get tripped up. But he's also like, that's bait, and I'm not taking it. Close the door. <laughs> great, that's great. And it's and so doing cute. something about his death, about Sousa's death mm-hmm. in the noir piece, yeah, was a particularly fun subversion of the genre for me because the whole point of noir is you don't fucking win exactly but but in this one it's like we did win with cheating we (laughs) did and i also love i mean here we have colson as an lmd right which is the whole other discussion you know um colson is an lmd is able to you know dump in the water and pretend that he's susa and send this story out that susa has died you know um without drowning and there's something about that Uh, colson as an lmd is really fun in a lot of ways and really confusing in a lot of ways it's like you know when we had you know fitz who comes back in season six but but fitz 
died. Like our right. it's Fitz, not the same. He's, yeah. He is also our Fitz, but like we had a Fitz whose actual experience was this horrible, violent, really sad death, and we lost him, and that was real. But then we've got mm-hmm. this other Fitz. But he's also still like an actual human and he is actually fits. But then we've got Colson who came back last season as this rando villain Sarge and whatever. Like that was weird. But having him come back, all of his memories, all of his Mm -hmm. experiences uploaded into this LMD that he's not entirely certain of who he is. And that there's this point where May just says, like after he dies, I don't know, the third or fourth time, she's like, he'll be back. He's always back. You know, (laughs) just chill with it because he always comes back, but it's not actually him. Right. Right. But I think I think this is really interesting and not a thing that they did on purpose over uh-huh. the course of seven seasons, because I don't believe that they did a lot of stuff on purpose uh-uh. on this. Show. Like most of the show was like, no, but they've also managed to land like without doing things on purpose. You got to give credit where credit is due. They yeah, also yeah. managed to land it pretty well. Oh, yeah, because because I don't think he's been, quote unquote, the same Colson since right. Tahiti. Like, yeah. clearly he is different. Like, I mean, yeah. some of it's like this alien stuff that's coming out of him that's uh-huh. all plot relevant and things. But I mean, he's not the same Colson after the first death. So yeah. the idea that we really pay that off, what, 20, 25 deaths later, that it's right. like, oh, no, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. I am simultaneously the most Colson I've ever been and the least. <laughs> At the same time. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty um, but I good. like it. I like those mm-hmm. questions. I like that he's unsure of himself, that he's, you know, um, his existence, his place, having all of these memories and having the emotions. I mean, he's an LMD, but he's able to feel. I mean, the way that we saw like the LMD may had feelings, yeah, had emotions. Yeah, she became you know? an individual. Yes. Yeah. So we're seeing this with uh, Coulson as well. And to what extent, you know, it had me thinking this whole thing about like, you know, uh, when when Daisy and Coulson in the time loop episode, which I absolutely love, we're going to talk about in more detail very, so very good. soon. Yes. My, uh, just so incredible. But when they're having that conversation where he's like, now I have to watch all of my friends die, you know, and he's like, even if they survived that time loop thing, like he is going to outlive them. He's going to have to watch them die. Um, and then Daisy's like, well, I know something about watching someone you love die over and over and over again. But there's a certain point where, you know, does the death have meaning anymore if it's not permanent? Because it's just not with Coulson. Coulson always comes back. But is it actually Coulson? I mean, actual Coulson is dead, dead, dead. You know, I mean, he's just gone. Yeah, several times over, honestly. But here we have this uh, pseudo Coulson, this faux Coulson, you know, Folson. I don't know. (laughs) I think I would say personally, and I'm going to try really hard not to wildly run down a rabbit trail because Mm -hmm. much to the possible chagrin of our listeners, I am literally reading a book on human consciousness right now that I was thinking really hard about when I was watching the season in terms of Coulson. Um, Because, oh, I'm going to be so bad at this because I'm not even done with the book. But I mean, there's this whole uh, bottom down or top up. Uh question about human consciousness and the bottom up is 
your consciousness is entirely a construct of your physical brain. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that your consciousness cannot exist outside of this meat suit. Right. And And once you die, that's it. It's gone. And yeah, because Mm -hmm. because the fleshly construct that created that matrix of thoughts and emotions and feelings Mm -hmm. that you think of as you turns off. So it's gone. Mm -hmm. Um, Then the top down is that consciousness is a thing that exists independently of the brain, but must interact with the body through the brain. Like that's Mm -hmm. how it interacts with the body and the rest of the world. And so looking at that, if you're coming from a bottom up perspective, he's Coulson. Right. Because he's he the the construct that is creating the matrix of thoughts and feelings and emotions and memories is now mm-hmm. uh, computerized instead right. of a fleshly But it still bit. exists and it's still generating consciousness. And so that is the cult of consciousness. Guy. Right. Same mm-hmm. guy in any mm-hmm. way that you care yeah. to to do to deal with it. If you go from a, a bottom up right. perspective, mm-hmm. if you come from a top down perspective, hell no, he's been a different guy every single time. Yeah. I mean, because because it's it's because sometimes it's a different body and, mm-hmm. you know, you have to. And it is. I mean, he's got Creed DNA floating in around him. He's yeah. now a different mm-hmm. body. So if that means that your consciousness is interacting with the world through a meat suit, that is 85 percent still the same meat suit. But 15 percent isn't. You're a different person. Your hormones are different. The way that you're that, you know. Right. But you're but I mean, the thing is, like the ship of Theseus, you know, perspective on human existence, which is that like, you know, the ship of Theseus is you replace one board you replace another board eventually you've replaced all the parts of it but it's still the ship is it still right is it still the ship of theseus right so i mean if you think about that in terms of like what is it a seven-year turnaround before all of your cells in your body have been replaced but you're still you right you still remain you your consciousness is being transferred from dead cell to live cell piece by piece by piece but yeah no it's i mean i have no answers to any of these questions but it's yeah it's 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 hard to kind of figure out and also like if from my perspective like from outside of colson this lmd appears as colson you know so for daisy does that moderate her grief does that moderate her experience of loss because she's got this colson substitute that is you know 95 percent that is for all intents and purposes the same person yeah right to i mean to her outside of that experience like what is so it's it's really interesting to have all these questions i mean with sarge we knew it wasn't colson it just well eventually we knew it wasn't like colson right it looked like but he did have some of his memories he picked up i guess some of that in the dna scrape that he did when he went into the rift or whatever yeah i don't know Let's just cruise know. past Sarge. Yeah, we've already had that discussion. I don't even know. Um, That's so bad. But, but it's, I mean, it's a really interesting kind of discussion mm-hmm. as far as like, is Coulson Coulson? Is Coulson who we believe him to be? Is he, you know, and, and it feels weird to be like, well, I don't miss Coulson now because I have another one. You yeah. Know? And <laughs> because, yet. Yeah. And yet, you know, and then May's response to him which I thought was really interesting in that she was just kind of like, well, whatever. He always comes back, you know. Um, May's 
May's reaction to LMD Colson is really interesting. I feel like if there's anyone in the show that we can point to as a viewpoint that he is not the same Colson. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's May because yeah. she's developed these empathic abilities and she doesn't feel anything from him. Right. Mm-hmm. And presumably, I mean, she didn't have them when she was with right. a living Colson, but presumably she would have been able to read him. And so she feels like the only lens that legitimately, I mean, as far as if you're going from a bottom up perspective, right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all Colson, right. but her empathy suggests some kind of top down. Yeah. You know, situation because there's it's something that him. we have as human beings that she can pick up on mm-hmm. that he feels, but she does not feel. Like right. there's a space there. So, yeah, it's a she's as close as you come to like a lens through which to declare him not Colson, as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, I mean, unless unless you're full bore top down, because then you can say, no, there, he's he's completely different. Right. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, if you come from a bottom up, she's the only perspective we have that that puts that space in there. Mm-hmm. And and I wonder how much we're supposed to read from that into it'll be fine he always comes back like is she talking about colson as a concept or is she talking about lmd colson or is she talking about both with subtle shades of meaning we'll never know i don't know i don't know um but may also i mean let's talk about what happens with may this season because fascinating yes may our emotionless you know get it done all business may is now an empath Um, which I find so fascinating and so interesting, you know, and when they go to afterlife, when she and Elena go to afterlife, try to fix Yo-Yo's powers, right? She's Mm -hmm. talking to, uh, Ying and Ying says it just because it's inhuman doesn't mean it's not an incredible power to have, you know, that she doesn't have a power, this idea that she can touch somebody and feel what they're feeling and know what they're thinking to a certain degree you know mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean it was it was a really interesting turn for may and i love that um that unexpected thing that agents of shield does every mm. you know every season they do game changers they change the way the world works they change what's going on and now we're changing our characters internally as well yeah yeah so you know yeah and she Um, has an arc within this season as far as that goes because at the beginning she is not feeling her own emotions because Mm -hmm. she doesn't she's feeling everybody else's and doesn't know what to do with them Mm -hmm. and that process unlocks her own emotions yeah so that by the end of it she is both feeling her own and other people's and can kind of keep that separate yeah you know Um, In fact, if I wanted to go deep on this, I would probably say that the reason they were so overwhelming at the beginning is because Mm -hmm. emotionally she's damn near an empty vessel. Yeah. So but by the end, she's allowing herself to really feel. And that lets that space between her own emotions and the emotions she's picking up from others exist. Like they don't have to be all the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's great. And and. You know, I, I was the one who like last season or uh, two seasons ago was like, oh, a May who smiles about damn time. <laughs> so the idea that at the end of this, yeah. she would wind up as, mm-hmm. I don't know, headmistress. I, I'm not yeah. exactly sure she's teaching something, but that uh-huh. she would wind up in a place where she's. I mean, she's really been teaching somebody almost yeah. once Ward she's left. She's been, been teaching an SO. somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. But to see her shift from an SO into like a teacher. And yeah. I really feel like some sort of um, 
headmistress or administrative mm-hmm. role yeah. where she really has to care about yeah. the disposition and well-being of hundreds of students. Mm-hmm. What an evolution just in season seven, let alone from one to seven. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. No, it's it's really, really fun. Um, I loved seeing May go through that. I loved seeing her challenged by that mm-hmm. um, because she's always been so separated from her own emotions, let alone anybody else's, you know, and so to be able to feel all of that and how weird that is for her, you know, when mm-hmm. she's having a panic attack, when she's feeling, you know, Seuss's confusion, she's figuring all of this stuff out. It's so interesting. And when she touches Coulson, it's nothing nothing you know and i mean that is interesting because he does have emotions like we see him experiencing and talking about you know the world and his and everything that's going on in emotional terms you Mm -hmm. know we see that from him all the time um so it's really interesting for her to not be able to pick up anything off of him and that's also like one space where the world can be quiet for her you know, because being an yeah. empath is not easy. Picking up on everybody else's emotional states is not easy. Um, so to be able to get away from that with him, I just thought it was nice. And I really liked the relationship. You know, it was it was very complicated, the relationship between Colson and May. And it wasn't the same relationship, you know, as the actual Colson had with May, you know. Yeah. But there was something in that that was like this this symbiotic closeness, you mm. know, and understanding between the two of them. That I thought was really, really nice. Yeah, I agree. I mean, without throwing too much shade backwards, the last big emotional shift we had between May and Coulson was unearned and did not work at all. right. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. this sort of reset of the status quo between them lets them actually do an emotional arc of their relationship that is earned and does make sense and is excellent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really, really fun. Um, so we have this episode, right, where uh, where Max's parents get taken, but then they're dead. Um, they're killed by these chronicoms. He has trouble dealing with it. He goes off for a minute, and he and Deke get left behind in the 80s. Um, so we have this weird uh, kind of buddy cop episode. <laughs> I I have... With our short circuit robots, yeah. I have some complicated feelings about that episode. I uh, was I was interested in hearing your thoughts about that. Because Deke sucks a lot, and there's a lot of Deke in that episode, like so goddamn much Deke. I and he like sucks Deke in this so episode. Bad. I mean, yeah, he's no. I like him. It also. I like that he keeps coming back from Mac. I like that he's taking care of Baby Mac. I like that he's. <laughs> I never give up on people. Like I don't know. I I'm a sucker. I fell for it. No, it, again, it's better. It's better. And it's mm-hmm. a little bit like how I used to talk about Daisy during her like transition yeah. from mm-hmm. Sky to Daisy, where it was right. like, I might care more about Daisy if they bothered to make me care about Sky. And mm-hmm. in this case, it's like, I might like Deke if they hadn't made him so damn unlikable for so long before now. <laughs> my real, my yeah. real conflict over that episode is that I don't, I didn't really like it. Like, and mm-hmm. I think the biggest part of that is I didn't hate it. I, there's yeah. nothing in the season for me to hate. Yeah. And I can tell the difference because I hated yeah. Everything in the season before. <laughs> Everything. All of it. Top to bottom. Uh-huh. Um, no good in it. Not one damn thing. Um, 
I got so mired in my hatred, I lost my train of thought. Oh, so the thing. So I don't like that episode. It feels mm-hmm. like it's too much Deke. It feels like it is a massive digression from the actual fucking plot. Yes. Which is the, you know, you're talking about grounding your characters. And that's mm-hmm. true. But also mm-hmm. for two thirds of this season, we knew exactly what they were doing and why they were doing it, which mm-hmm. is not something we could have said about the last definitely season and a half and maybe longer than that right Mm -hmm, and that's mm -hmm. a huge deal yeah and now we're gonna do this and i was sitting there like i don't like this it's too much deke why aren't we doing the actual plot and then i was like oh shit we've been complaining non-stop about how they never give anybody any space to actually deal with their trauma and this is an episode that actually deals with max trauma. actually deals with max trauma yeah and they did it and i still don't want it like it's I'm, (laughs) i'm too I'm well, somewhere I mean, between because things it's I separate, hate it and, yeah, and it's separate uh, not from like the rest this. of everything that if yeah. you take this episode out of the rest of the run, we actually lose pretty much nothing. Not um, in the big we picture, have yeah. this we have this uh, Sybil becoming manifest in a short circuit robot, <laughs> uh, which which both undermines her threat as an overall oh, yeah. villain through the whole yeah. thing. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things in this episode that I think worked against the overall flow of the season. That said, um, I liked that we took time to deal with Max trauma. I liked mm-hmm. that there was this space in there. I thought that Deke was cute. I liked that he wasn't going to let Mac go that he fought for that friendship that he fought for that connection i like that he was trying to build a shield you know and like take these misfits and make them into shield agents and um so yeah there was and i liked also that deke knew his limitations he was like i can't do this this isn't something that i'm up to you know i'm the guy that gets other people there and he knows that that's who he is you know and i liked that about deke like i you know i i know i know i hear it on twitter all the time deke's the worst (laughs) I get it. Um, but I just, I really appreciate it. Like, I, I've always liked Deke. I can't help it. I just always have. And now I continue to like him. Um, this episode is, I mean, it is, it deviates aesthetically, which most of the episodes do, but even, but it, but most of the other episodes deviate aesthetically. They give us like this new space, but they maintain all of our characters grounded, mm-hmm. you know, in this space. Whereas this one feels like a flight of fantasy. You know, it feels like, like we have Coulson as Max Headroom. We have Sybil as Short Circuit. Um, we're getting so far into our references that we're getting away from yes. the core yes. of that story. And I think that that's where this kind of goes off track a little bit but it's one episode it's fun um i like the connection i like i like the way that deke stayed loyal and connected to mac and was there you know oh, um as far I as a redemption episode yeah amazing redemption episode yeah, I ended much better even than I began that episode. Even as he's like, you know, plagiarizing oh, he's all still of deke. these songs, and he's still deke, <laughs> you know. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it ended better than it. it began. But also, I do feel like that is the beginning of mm-hmm. the antagonist blender that we do in this season. Yeah, boy, it sure wouldn't be Agents of Shield if we didn't have an antagonist movie. <laughs> 
This is true. <laughs> it's only two. They kept. It's already like yeah. ten times better than the last season and a yeah. half. So it's more it's focused. Better. It's more focused, and it and also like it you back. know. Yeah, they do. Like they, they do pull it. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's kind of tough. Um, so yeah, I mean, let's take that opportunity to talk about, you know, our antagonists this <laughs> season for what they're worth. Um, okay, so we've got these two. We've got the Chronicoms as personified through Sybil, who is their seer, who can predict all of the future. We've got the Time Streams or stream which is this device through which you can see all the possible things that could possibly happen mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is one of those things that you just say okay you know okay sure you know Fitz has one Sybil has one you know whatever so we've got all of that going on um nathaniel malik nathaniel malik was the malik brother who in the original time stream had been sent off to to uh, the the death planet to be killed <laughs> by right. Hive, right? Um, and so he died in that universe and we never heard from him again, right? Um, tricked by his brother Gideon, who turned out to be the asshole that we dealt with that season. Um, now, uh, Nathaniel survives. Wilfred survives, right? Um, passed when he was supposed to die. And, um, and so Nathaniel now becomes this anarchist who just wants there to be nobody in charge. Okay, I really like Nathaniel so much more than Nathaniel deserves to be liked. Okay. I, I like whatever <laughs> So he's accent. your Deke? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I guess. I mean, I think he works. I honestly think he works better than Deke. I honestly think he works really well, except for the fact that he's part of the blender, right? Like, right. we should have never left the Chronicoms behind. Mm-hmm. You need to marry Nathaniel to them, not have us like take him like a tributary right. and then come back to the Chronicoms. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just be yeah. real. Structurally, it's a little bit of a mess. It is. Mm-hmm. But when we are forced to look at this character, I really like it. Um, I mm-hmm. like like this accent that he's doing. I don't know what it is, but I like the delivery. I it's like so that he weird. It is very affected. Yeah. Which I really again, I'm gonna tell you why I really like it is because so is his anarchist leanings. <laughs> like yeah, I yeah. never entirely bought into them anyway, but then yeah. when that facade starts cracking towards the back end, I was like, perfect, fucking perfect. Right. Because exactly. that's what he's I actually think shit. most. He's just yes. selling a line. That he doesn't believe in. Yeah. And I love that. So the whole mm-hmm. this whole affectation of Nathaniel overcompensating for being the lesser brother all the time. Love it. I'm I'm into all of that. I don't understand why they have to dress him like extremely lazy matrix cosplay the entire time. Right. It's real bad. Like I don't give know. them give the guy a suit. Not a super suit. Just let him wear a fucking well, suit and also, tie. You know, I'm Something. just I'm tired of crazy evil. I'm tired of like give me an antagonist who I can look at and be like, all right, you know, like I get it. Maybe I don't agree with you. I think your methods are bad, but I get it. You know, um, but when you have somebody who's so over the top, the way that Nathaniel Malik is um, and the stuff that he's willing to do and the way that he did, like the stealing of the powers from the, you know, 
all of it, the the manipulation of Cora, you know, from Afterlife yeah. and what he does to her. It's all like it's all gross, and there's nothing in him that I feel sympathetic to or connected oh, with. No. And the evil villain who is just evil, like I'm tired of it and I don't care. Um, so I'm not that interested in him. I'm not that interested in Sybil or the Chronicoms because I'm I'm never that cl- I know they want to take over Earth so that they have a world and they can blend in and live and then they'll have Earth people to like make their frozen yogurt and shit. So I don't <laughs> understand why they have to take over the whole planet and destroy all living creatures on it or whatever. But um, but also then, you know, then we have this like uh, B level, C level young John Garrett brought in for a couple of episodes on the one hand on the one hand going through and revisiting our bad guys from previous seasons I think is kind of fun on the other hand this actor is so bad but he's also the son of the late Bill Paxton who played the original John Garrett and that feels sad and I feel mean being irritated by how fucking terrible he is okay 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 hold on hold on hold Mm -hmm. on I gotta circle back okay to to the couple of weak points other than his clothing that Nathaniel brings to the table because that will lead into a John Garrett all right. Conversation. The kid right. Garrett conversation, Ugh. right? Yeah. Okay. So he does have two weak points, Nathaniel. These are not incon- inconsequential. Yes. Uh, one is that it's because of his ass that we have to fuck around in afterlife who gives an actual fuck. Like, <laughs> I don't, I know, I know, mm. metatextually, I know that they needed some places <laughs> that they could <laughs> shoot in that could be like two hallways in one room. They were saving money for the big shit at the end. It's fine. It's fine. I, li- I like it. I, I, yeah. I understand what you're doing. I mm-hmm. don't understand why it has to be afterlife because it was garbage last time we were there. <laughs> and it's not better now. Like all of a sudden yeah. I'm supposed to feel like uh, Zha Ying because she's 20 years younger than when we ran into her. That now she's not a fucking supervillain. And a she hasn't been fully traumatized by all the things. But also that there's this sister that Daisy didn't know she had that killed herself in the backstory there. That there was all of that. I, I, I don't know. Okay. So trip to afterlife. Yeah. First biggest problem. Okay. The second mm-hmm. biggest problem of Nathaniel is that the way he goes about it, and I don't I don't exactly know how to describe I know I know how to describe it. I don't know how to describe my extremely complicated feelings about it. <laughs> we basically did yeah. old home week. Uh-huh. Yeah. But we replaced 90% or more of the actors from Old Home Week. So yeah. I'm supposed to have a connection to these people, except they're not the except people that I don't. had a connection to. Right. Yeah. And, and John Garrett is the 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 sort of crown jewel of that. But I was there with uh, Gordon, the teleporting yeah. inhuman. Yeah, Gordon. Where I was just like, yeah. oh, sure. I mean, we're sightseeing. I remember that sure. dude. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Except not this dude. Not yeah. this one. And well, so we it was did this see. Weird... We did see this one briefly. Well, when we true. had the flashback had flashback. to the young Gordon, but still, yeah, that's fair. But but you mm-hmm. see what I've, where I'm like, I know what you guys yeah. are doing, but you're also not really doing it, and so I'm not sure how I'm supposed well, to I react. Well, I mean, here we this. are traveling back through time, and then we're reconnecting with with whether it be a recognizable villain for us, you know. But but it is the villains that we, you know. In theory, right? I mean, this is that complicated space, that distance between 
sometimes I have to deal with the fact that I'm mm-hmm. watching a television show. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I can't help it. I'm not being mm-hmm. overly critical or, or hyper watching, but it's just like at a certain point, I'm like, sure, you're doing an amazing Bill Paxton as John Garrett impression, but you're not Bill Paxton as John Garrett. Like, I well, don't care. Right. And I know that he's like, he's John, he's Bill Paxton's, like the actor himself, James Paxton, is Bill Paxton's son. And that makes me feel like all those feelings Bill Paxton passed in recent years. And here is his son playing yeah, sure. younger him and all of that. And if he wasn't such a terrible actor, I mean, so bad, like so bad this I'm is not I mean, sure. Lonnie, paxton, I'm not sure. paxton originally like you know played the hell out of john garrett That's and that true. it was overplayed like he absolutely went way overboard but he was also like hopped up on eight million you know super soldier serum bullshit things like what he oh. had centipede serum in his system or whatever like this guy like the young john garrett i want the tragedy of a guy that that is a normal like not completely insane dude a, a guy with hope for his life and we sure. know where he ends up like instead we have him playing the you know whacked out on centipede juice crazy paxton at the end but this is before this is young this is when when we're young and we're hopeful you know before we get old <laughs> like you and me and you know crazy and bitter and all of that <laughs> the look of horror on your face because it's too I'm sorry, real old like me no um, you're not wrong the look of horror is because it's too real oh <laughs> so so right. i think i'm really unsure i need to see james paxton and other things so that i can get a feel for this because yeah I'm not sure if that's acting ability or direction. Because, Maybe it is direction. Yeah, directing him to be like the most recognizable version of Well, to be after the, all of this crazy stuff that Garrett went through. Like, right. Garrett was nuts when he was older, but, I mean, wouldn't it have been so much more tragic to have a sympathetic... Also, we are in dire dire need of a sympathetic antagonist at this point because all of our other antagonists are so fucking bonkers bullshit that you know we don't care but like if john garrett was somebody who you could look at and be like oh my god this guy could have been okay you know but for one like i mean how much but for one tragic choice this guy could have been awesome but instead and maybe it was okay fair enough maybe it isn't the acting maybe it's the directing maybe it's not that he's a terrible actor maybe it's that he was asked to do something that was just a dumb bad idea but i mean can you imagine if he had been a sympathetic antagonist you know if he had gotten picked up by by nathaniel Malik because of a central weakness of character that we see take over John Garrett later on, right? Yeah. But we still see the real human underneath all of that. And that here was a guy who had a one redeeming quality would have been great. A couple would have been awesome. But like anything that made him somebody that I would have been like, oh God, I'm so sad at the way this guy turned out because he could have been awesome. If we had had a guy, you know, in this position who was well drawn and well characterized and interesting and nuanced, but yet you know, had an essential weakness of character that would end up bringing him down a bad path 
in this, you know, reality, but also the same kind of weakness of character that that broke him later on in life. You know, when we saw the the ending of that in in the original John Garrett storyline, how much more interesting and crunchy and nuanced that would have been and how desperately we needed an antagonist that we actually gave a shit about. You know, I understand completely where you're coming from with antagonists mm-hmm. that we care about, but yeah. also let me counterpoint. Yes. Boy, is there a fuck ton going on in this show? Could we stand one more person that we give a shit about? Like, well, I am, we're gonna I am spend on this record. time on Garrett anyway. Right. I mean, but he's we're there wasting doing time with him anyway. Yeah. He's there just carrying plot things. And, and you let me can say, carry am, plot things and you can do more than one thing at once in writing. I stand by that. I know you can. <laughs> no, of course. <laughs> they of wouldn't course. have had and to spend any more time. They could have just characterized him differently. I am on record as saying that the bland nature of MCU villains mm-hmm. is a problem. Right. And the on paper said out loud explanation for that is we want to focus on our heroes. Right. And I'm like, that's cute Fuck and all, off. but it's also bullshit. It is bullshit. Um, now, when you have a long running series that we aren't we know for a damn fact this time we're saying goodbye to our main characters, I can actually sympathize with the idea of like let's just go pretty broad with our villains because we really mm-hmm. want to spend all of our emotional time with our heroes. Mm-hmm. Like I get where you're coming from at, from the like sort of a, you know, platonic ideal of making good antagonists. Right. But in mm-hmm. this space, I can I can forgive this so much more than so many of the movie choices. <laughs> right. Here's my argument against that. My argument against that is that we are going to spend this time and this energy on this antagonist regardless of anything else. We already, like, we have spent wasted minutes on John Garrett doing crazy shit and being pinwheels in the eyes, right? You know, <laughs> th- we wouldn't have to spend any more energy, any more time, any more anything he can still pick up the plot football and move it to where it needs to be moved while still being a compelling character while having a compelling giving us a compelling moment um and i don't see how that would take away from our heroes at all because it would be the same amount of time all you have to do is just write the guy differently so i would i would argue against that i get what you're saying but i would argue against that i think that it's a it's we've nathaniel malik is pinwheels in the eye Sybil is pinwheels in the eye and then we got another pinwheels with uh, John Garrett and it just was too much for me I just I did not care about any of it and Cora is also a little bit of that you know we kind of turn her around at the end but you know but she's a lot of pinwheels too you know and and after a while like I just I don't care I think with the same amount of time with the same amount of energy you can create antagonists that are also compelling interesting and somewhat sympathetic it doesn't mean we need to be on their side doesn't mean we need to think that they're right or that they should win but that we at least can look at them and say yeah I get how you got there like you Mm -hmm, know mm -hmm. it's not like you know a vengeance a typical vengeance storyline like yeah I get how you got there like no it's not okay but yeah when you're you know when you've been through something or whatever and you're out for vengeance against somebody you feel did something wrong to you or whatever like I get it you know that you can sympathize with certain certain things that that antagonists some antagonists do and I think that that just is better than having a broad you know arms waving in the wind crazy eyed you know um, antagonist so that's just my argument 
No, Whatever. I, I'm not saying you're wrong is. about any of that. And yeah. I am frankly uncomfortable making the Kevin Feige <laughs> argument for shitty villains that I have yeah. argued against so mo- so many times. Yeah. But, yeah. I, but, but in this know. space, I felt like it was a little more forgivable because they do have a lot to do in a relatively there short amount of time. There is a lot of heavy lifting going on. I mean, um, hey, Daisy's an actual character in the season, you guys. Daisy is. And speaking of which, oh my God, can we talk about like the best episode of the whole season, which is As I Have Always Been? Okay. Yes, we absolutely can. <laughs> but as part of that conversation. Yes. I have got to know how you feel about this Sousa and Daisy ship, because (laughs) I feel like there are huge swaths of people who flip the fuck out (laughs) because she's not Peggy. Right. Well, yeah, but he's not Cap. I mean, and we're not discussing the shitty end of Endgame again. I won't have it. (laughs) I'm so fucking salty about it. Every time it comes up, it's a bad ending. And I would tell them to their faces. It's a bad ending. But clearly, Sousa and Peggy do not end up together for the long haul. Um, And I love Anver Jokai. Um, I I love Daniel Sousa as a character. Bringing him in was wonderful. I liked him and Daisy together. Um, And I loved the time loop episode, as I have always been, for a million reasons. Reasons. It's real um, good. I love the bottle episode is really fun. We've got the time loop stuff going on. Um, you know, we've got the the Groundhog Day thing happening, which is so much fun trying to figure out what it is that we're doing wrong so that we can redo it. I loved, uh, you know, Colson being like, yeah, well, when you die, you don't remember. We have to start this whole thing over again. And she's like, I've died. <laughs> Boy, that was the one thing that felt a little sloppy in the episode is that they yeah. set some rules and then just break them whenever they want and just run so fast that they're hoping we don't notice. (laughs) I loved it. I loved it was, you know, a lot of these episodes I was watching and I was like, yeah, this is really great. Yeah, this is really great. God, I'm really enjoying this. And I was very unsure of myself because I'm like, okay, this is for a lot of reasons. (laughs) There are reasons why ordinarily I wouldn't enjoy this, but I am loving it and I love it so much and I'm just going to enjoy it. And I don't care even if it's bad, I'm just going to love it. And then we hit this episode and I was like nope I fucking love this season this may be my favorite season of all the seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this may be my favorite Um, I loved it I loved all of it you know all the way through Uh, the the kiss with Sousa that he's never going to remember the Uh conversations I love when she's like I don't have time and then she's like you know what fine I can take a loop and she just sits down and has a conversation with him like I love that I love all of it Um, it's it's so much fun it's so funny of course the moment where so is is Deke dead yeah do we have to be sad about that no we do not (laughs) I've never agreed with anything that anybody said on this show more never not once of the whole thing um but you know then we get to the end of it right where we have Daisy and and Coulson LMD Coulson sitting with uh with Enoch as he has sacrificed himself without question you know Mm -hmm. for everybody the only thing I question the only thing in the whole thing I question is that they're telling him like you know he says Fitz is my best friend and they're like you were a really good friend to Fitz and then I had that moment of like I'm her best friend but she's not my best friend Um, like that you know kind of like mean girls (laughs) thing Um, but also (laughs) 
then this moment where they're like well you were a really good friend to him and and he would have done and then enoch says and he would have done the same for me i'm sure i'm like no never no never fitz is a shitty friend to you like i appreciate that you love fitz um and that he has you know somehow managed to get this place in your heart despite the way that he treats you but he's a shitty friend to you enoch you're a wonderful friend to fitz but he is a shitty fucking friend to you and but you know in his dying moments all right we'll just let that go well yeah we kind of have to because this squad has also been a shitty friend to enoch this entire Mm -hmm. season and we're just gonna skip it when we when we want to skip it Um, enoch who has sacrificed himself not once but twice to save all these assholes yeah 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 Yeah. two times Mm -hmm. two times yeah Uh, and got the and went without hesitation yeah and yeah. met them the long way around multiple yep. times. Yep. When I just when they weren't broken up about it at all. They, they were just like, when oh, they we left forgot him our chair. Behind, they left him behind for twenty years, forty years, something like that, before yeah. they finally got him back. And then when they called him, and they were like, oh, can you connect us to the Zephyr? And he's just like, okay. And nobody's like, hey, Enoch. How are you doing? We've missed you. We're sorry we abandoned you for decades, you know. I didn't um, like that part. No. Enoch I hated deserved that. better. Enoch deserved way better. And I hated the way that he was treated because he's a chronicon. Because, because he's, he's a thing. They treat him a like robot. a thing. They do. And it fucking sucks because Enoch has feelings and Enoch is a good, he's a good person he's a good character he's capable of love and affection and loyalty in a way that like a lot of these people are not um it's (laughs) that's true there you go it's really it's wonderful and i loved it and then so like on the one hand i was like well let's not give fitz too much credit and on the other hand i'm like okay he's dying let's let him believe whatever makes him happy on his way out you know whatever exactly I'll tell you, I, so I also really love that time loop episode. It was good. Even when I went, was halfway through, I was like, wait a minute, that's different than what they said earlier. I was like, I don't give a shit. I'm having too much fun. Let's go. Mm -hmm. One thing that really surprised me is that episode went hard for the Colson LMD. Yeah. Not wanting to watch his friends die and not wanting to be there and knowing that he's mostly Chronicom anyway. Yeah. I really, really expected him to sacrifice himself Colson to sacrifice himself at the end because he said he wanted to go out so I expected him to pull out his little heart thing and die and Enoch to go because Enoch wasn't ready to he was ready to sacrifice himself for his friends but Colson was like I don't really want to be here Colson's like I don't want to yeah so I was really surprised legitimately surprised that that's not how that episode went because it really felt to me like that's where they were headed Mm -hmm. And, and I feel like that would have landed a lot stronger than yet another Enoch sacrifice, especially considering how they treated him. And because we've also played that before, you know, we've played that a couple of times. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I, I was sad to see Enoch go. I was glad that Daisy and Coulson stayed with him and that they talked to him and that Coulson was able to actually give him some comfort that they were having the discussion about, you know, about feeling lonely you know, mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. he was, I've been alone all this time, but I've never really felt lonely, you know, um, until I developed these relationships, 
you know, mm-hmm. and it was it was the love of other people that gave him that loneliness, that there's this, you know, wonderful joy that comes from that connection with people. But there's also that pain that comes with it, too. And I thought it was a really interesting kind of philosophical discussion. Absolutely. But then uh, we get into this bullshit of this is the last time the team will ever be together again, that you will ever all be in the same space. And we play that through to the end of the season, you know, with the team will never all be together and Daisy's, but this is my family and this whole thing. And it's like, okay, yeah, the whole team isn't going to be together or you're not going to be agents of shield anymore, or you're not going to be running missions together or whatever. And then at the end they have that, weird zoom meeting right <laughs> hollow zoom the, hollow the only zoom way meeting. zoom could be worse exactly <laughs> yikes you know and they're all and none of them are in the same room, but they're all meeting together and they're having this it's just i don't know like i i didn't care for that and i didn't care for the um uh, the way that they, you know, played fast and loose with with what Gemma and, you know, Fitz were fighting for that, you know, it's not nothing. You're guarding our everything. And like, yeah, I get it. It's your kid. And that's great. But like you're <laughs> saving the whole universe. You're saving everybody's kids. And the idea that Gemma, I understand that she can't know where Fitz is because she doesn't want to like because Chromacons can read your brain and they do. They suck her memories out, you know. Um, and so, you know, I like that. And I thought that that was an okay, you know, mechanic as far as the story goes. But uh, this whole thing of like, instead of saying, I remember Aaliyah, I remember Aaliyah, our kid, you know, or whatever. Like, she's like, I remember what we're fighting for so that we can play fast and loose with that for a little while longer and like shock everybody when we see this toe headed little kid who took a 20 minute nap while her parents spent, you know, years saving the world or whatever. Um, all of it was so irritating to me. Like that by the time we finally got there, you know, this, this plane and this idea that like, you know, Fitz is going to be dead is, you know, is this because of the blood test in the back, which of course he's referring to the pregnancy test, which nobody would call a blood test at that point. They would call it a pregnancy test, you know? So it's all of that kind of stuff. Like when you're going to try to like pull something like this, you know, keep something from your audience, then you can't fuck with your audience. Like you can't show them things and like, reconfigure them so that it looks like one thing when it's actually something else if if when you go back through the whole thing knowing how it ends knowing Mm -hmm. what the reality is if that doesn't line up then you know it's it's bullshit so there's a lot of that in there that like i was kind of annoyed with you know right at the end though like Mm -hmm. they saved it mostly for the end and it's mostly to ratchet up drama that i personally didn't require like well and when when Gemma's crying I'm, I'm not gonna forget I'm not gonna forget I'm not gonna forget you're leaving your kid for 20 minutes like yeah you're, you're gonna be gone knows. for a few months yeah. but also like anybody who's ever raised like a toddler if you could get five months in which the kid suffers not at all. You've not abandoned them. They It's 20 minutes for them during which they are sleeping, right? Yeah. Um, you basically leave them for the course of a nap, but you get five months of not having to be the parent of a toddler. Um, how bad a deal is that for you? Like, Lonnie, I, I haven't had a toddler in... 
over a decade. And as you're talking, I'm still just having like stirrings in my heart about, yeah, that'd be fucking great, man. Like I haven't lived in that space in so long and I'm still just like, you're right. That would be so yeah. good so yeah you're right that was so written by a whole, bunch of people like, who may or may I not be I would feel parents. so guilty I would feel so terrible because they're trying to make us think that Fitz is dead when Fitz is not dead I hate fake outs they irritate the fuck out of me if when you go back and you run the whole thing through again everything doesn't line up with what the actual reality is then fuck all y'all yeah, then you're fucking tricky. with your audience and I don't like it so all of that stuff really super irritated me but for the time time loop episode alone right <laughs> i i mean and the traveling through history and the film noir and even the 80s buddy cop weird <laughs> shit like i whatever else you can say it. about it they went fucking hard for it they right? did yeah they did now, and i love let's it. chat about some of the wrap-up okay because i okay. want to look at some mm-hmm. of the wrap-up so okay. um Personally, as far as Sousa and Daisy going mm-hmm. off to basically be sword. Right. To, mm-hmm. I, fine. Okay. I don't care. I like, I super don't care. Like, I'm fine with them together, although I did really like imagining certain groups of mm-hmm. fans' brains melting. <laughs> um, but it's like, okay, great. So that's why you can't ever come to the Christmas party because you're in fucking <laughs> space. Great. What are you out there doing? <laughs> don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. Okay. <laughs> uh, Colson is gonna like go and have a walkabout or whatever. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. F- fine. Okay. Sure. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Fitz and Simmons are off being parents. Okay. I mean, mm-hmm. they're also moonlighting for Shield, I guess, but not telling yeah, each other. It's yeah. like mm-hmm. that's super healthy. You guys will be fine. No, that uh, yeah. will that will definitely not completely split you up in five years. <laughs> good, good choice. But it's like fine. Uh-huh. May, mm-hmm. I'm all in for. Right. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. May, I'm 100 percent in for. That's great. Like mm-hmm. her becoming that headmistress or teacher role is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Yo Yo basically becoming super powered May. I'm mm-hmm. also, I'm super fine with that. I'm in. Uh, yeah. Also, asterisk for Yo-Yo, uh, super speed has been, is, and always will be God-tier <laughs> superpower. Yeah. And they, even before she busted through her mental blocks, they were <laughs> not using her to her utmost. I'll just leave right. that. Mm-hmm. Now, the one <laughs> that just... Yeah. So, Mac is just Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is shit for like a variety of reasons. First of all, because Nick Fury's not a good dude. And mm-hmm. the whole reason Mac has the job is that he is supposed to be a good dude. But he right. is standing on the helicarrier, dressed in Nick Fury's wardrobe, like he mm-hmm. went to Nick's closet like Lando went to Han's at the end of Empire Strikes Back. Like, yeah, this is apparently the... Uh, the African-American director of S.H.I.E.L.D. uniform is Uh Mm -hmm. what are we supposed to draw from that? So S.H.I.E.L.D.'s back. Mm -hmm. They got a fucking helicarrier again. Mac is basically Nick Fury redux. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. this is this is not it doesn't feel like progression. Right. Either well, except for that the Mac world is, or for Mac. You know, I think I think we've shown that Mac has a a much more steadfast moral center than perhaps mm. Nick Fury did. And so visually, even though even though visually he You know what is, they're doing to us. 
looking a lot like Nick Fury. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I think functionally Mac would not do a lot of the things that Nick Fury did. But all we have <laughs> is what the show okay, shows enough. us. Fair enough. And the fair show enough. shows us mm-hmm. Nick Fury Jr. Shows us this is Nick Fury. Yes. Listen, mm-hmm. all of you comic book readers at home that know Nick Fury Jr. is a thing. Right. It's fucking terrible. Right. Like, let's just ignore it. <laughs> I, let me have the gag and let's all roll past it. Okay, Lonnie. I believe we've come to the point in our show where we have to talk about what's kind of a first for Listen Up A-Holes. Like, we have the same favorite part. We do. We do. And it's fine. It's okay. Well, I, I think home, mine's a little okay. broader. Mine's a little broader than yours. Mine is basically the whole time loop. Mine is sure. the entire episode. Um, I love all of it. I love the the bottle episode of it because we're doing all of these themed episodes anyway. And so mm-hmm. everything has a very distinct feel. It has this mystery, you know, to be resolved. This kind of almost, you know, Agatha Christie in space sort of thing where we've got this thing we've got to figure out. Oh, right? snap. It is. It's yeah. a locked door mystery in space. I love it. It is. Okay. It is. It's wonderful. I love it. Um, so there's a lot of stuff about that I love. I think there's one particular moment for you that you really like. Yeah. And don't play this off for the listeners at home. <laughs> you put it in your notes as your favorite part. I so I agree with you I that do. time loop is the best episode in the whole season. Bar none. <laughs> but the moment yeah. when the show acknowledges that we all don't need to give a shit about Deke, I was like, I am vindicated. <laughs> Is Deke dead? Yes. Do we need to be sad about that? We do not. We do not. <laughs> Daisy, I, I concur. It's I don't my care. Favorite I part. love Deke. I will still. I will still defend Deke. No, you're welcome to it. I mean, I have friends that have dogs that are hideous, <laughs> like they're missing an eye and they're flatulent, and they're just they're not good dogs but they love them and right. i'm like yeah. i get it man you gotta love your yeah. dog it happens and what deke you is do? your big sloppy goofy dog that you love deke is my big sloppy one-eyed farty dog yes. that's what i'm saying <laughs> and i think the show agrees with you <laughs> If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. Lonnie is at Lonnie Diane Rich, and I'm at Joshua Unruh, and the hashtag is Listen Up, A-Holes. This episode of Listen Up, A-Holes is brought to you by the Chipperish and Pulp Diction producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Listen Up, A-Holes is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our October producers. Shelly, Kristen, Jonathan, Jonathan, Rose, Erica, Alice, April, Abigail, and Sam. Sarah. Thank you, producers, and to everyone who supports Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, this message is for you. It's easier to let a bad man live than to let a good man die. To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, our Patreon links are in the show notes. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or take two in the back without a fuss. Turns out being an LMD has its perks. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We'll be back next time with our discussion of God Deliver Us, Daredevil (laughs) Season 2, Episodes 1 through 6. Until then, if this is a contest, look, I've died like seven times.